and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode 32.2. In this episode, I speak with Courtney Lyons-Garcia from Big Bend Conservancy, all about tips for planning a trip to Big Bend. At the time of release of this episode, Big Bend is currently closed due to COVID-19. Please check Big Bend National Park's website for updates. On another note, I am the family ambassador for Hello Ranger. Hello Ranger has a blog, a podcast, and is about to launch a National Park's community social application. The goal is to showcase and support the communities that are connected through national parks, from families and van lifers to retirees, artists, educators, diverse groups, and those with disabilities. National parks are the rare places where we can all find common ground and become united by nature. By fostering this sense of community, the Hello Ranger app allows us all to connect and interact in meaningful ways by sharing stories, photos, and memories. It's an app that opts for friendships rather than followers because we're all in this together. There will be a fee for the app and 20% of the profits of Hello Ranger will go back to national parks or to providing access for first-time travelers. We were given the opportunity to invite someone as our plus one, free of charge, to join the app in the community. So if you're interested in joining the community, head over to our Instagram at everybody'snps for more details. Now let's get to the conversation. Today, I am talking with Courtney Lyons-Garcia. She is Executive Director of Big Bend Conservancy. Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Good morning, Danielle. Today, Courtney and I are going to be talking about planning a trip to Big Bend National Park in Texas. I just want to mention that at the time of this recording, we're recording on March 19, 2020, and we are in the midst of the coronavirus. So we are stuck at home and taking the recommended precautions. But this content is evergreen and will be applicable in the future when you're ready to take your trip to Big Bend National Park. So with that said, thank you so much again, Courtney, for taking the time to talk to me today about planning a trip to Big Bend. So before we jump in, I first wanted to hear about what Big Bend Conservancy, just briefly, what does Big Bend Conservancy do for the park? And then if you can give a brief description of Big Bend National Park. Yes. So Big Bend National Park uh, is the first national park in Texas uh, and its largest. It's about 801,000 acres. So it's uh, larger than Rhode Island. It's the size of a state. It's along the border with Mexico in the west part of Texas. It's uh, part of the Chihuahuan Desert. It's a wet desert, so uh, it's much greener than most people expect a desert to be. It has record numbers of fossils, record numbers of birds, record numbers of ants, and many, many, many other 
living creatures. And we also have black bears, Mexican bears, and we also have mountain lions. So a beautiful flora and fauna, plenty of birds. It's a birder's paradise. Uh, And it has three zones. It has the mountain zone, it has the desert zone, and the river zone. So you can see a wide variety of terrain and some really amazing geology when you're there. My organization, which is Big Bend Conservancy, was founded in 1996, and we are the park's nonprofit fundraising partner. And it is our job to raise money and awareness for the park, for its ongoing protection, and for the enhancement of visitor services. So we raise money for projects and programs, and we have contributed uh, almost $4 million to the park since our inception, including two endowments. That's great. Thank you so much for the hard work that you do and so important right now, but anytime. And so if people want to support your organization, how would they do that? They would go to www.bigbendconservancy.org and there's a donate button or support button and they can make a contribution online. And then we also have social media Uh, and they can access us through social media as well. Great. Thank you. So Big Bend is pretty remote and not the easiest place to get to. Can you give your recommendations on how best to get to Big Bend National Park? It depends on where you're coming from. If you're coming from inside the state, you would take Interstate 10 and drop down at Fort Stockton and go uh, down 365 through Marathon. That's the easiest way to get there coming from the south of Texas, from San Antonio, Austin, Houston area, uh, and Dallas as well, is get to Fort Stockton and come south. We recommend for most to drive. The nearest airport is uh, three and a half to four hours at Midland, and they have very, uh, their flights are, are uh, at just not always great times. It's it's hard to get a flight in and out. And then they ha- you have to connect. There's no direct flight. If you're coming from the West Coast, like California or Oregon or uh, Nevada, um, you can fly into El Paso. It's a slightly longer drive than Midland, but there's a lot better connections, getting in and out of El Paso. Uh, It's a great little airport and easy, especially if you're going to and from the West Coast, very easy to get a favorable flight. Okay. And is is there another airport or it would just be El Paso? I thought I remembered hearing people flying into one other option, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Midland and Del Rio uh, both have airports. They're very much, much smaller. And so our, our more easily impacted by things like weather. Okay. So El Paso is really your best choice. If you're coming in from out of state, especially on the West, I would highly recommend El Paso. They're just, there's more, it's a larger airport. There's more flights in and out. Still Rio and Midland are fine. If you're flying Southwest, particularly in Midland, you know, they're reliable, but there's just not many choices per day. And Del Rio is very limited. I often recommend people from the East Coast to fly into Austin or San Antonio and just drive out because many, many times, you know, if you have to connect in Houston or Dallas to get to Midland or Del Rio, 
if you have a delay, things like that, it it would be faster to actually fly into Austin and drive out or fly into San Antonio and drive out. I've met people at the park who were coming from the East Coast and we often beat them you know, because they were supp- supposed to connect in Houston and they were delayed or there was some issue or they missed the connection and couldn't get anything to connect. Okay. So what's the driving time from El Paso, Austin, and San Antonio? El Paso, you're looking probably five hours, depending on you know traffic, maybe less, you know, depending on where you're going in the park. Midland would be four-ish hours, and then San Antonio and Austin would be seven hours. But again, if you have to wait two or three hours in Dallas for a connection, and then you get to Midland, and then you still have to rent a car and drive, you're kind of better off just having flown into San Antonio and gotten your car and gone out there. Got it. So again, Big Bend is pretty remote. So getting supplies, whether you're camping or staying in the lodge, where would you do shopping if you need to get food or any supplies? And are there places, you know, right outside the park or do you recommend finding somewhere as soon as you leave the airport? Yeah, I would definitely stock up before driving out there. Uh, There's a small convenience store. There's a small camp store. But particularly if people have dietary restrictions, being able to accommodate those and with limited resources, I would just not recommend that. When we have board meetings, I stop at the HEB near my house. I, I live seven hours from the park, so I get groceries before I go out there. I would recommend getting what you can before you get out there. There are the largest cities that are somewhat close by are Fort Stockton and Alpine, and they, they both have grocery stores. They're not large grocery stores, you know, and again, for people with dietary restrictions, shopping in the bigger cities and taking it out with you is, is always better. And there are often times when supply in the park is limited, like right now during this coronavirus, the supply is you know, Big Bend is at the end of the delivery line and the supplies are, are, are limited and resources are limited. So I find it's much better to be prepared and take everything with me when I go. Good tips. We we actually flew into Midland because um, we were flying Southwest. And as soon as we saw, we saw a grocery store right when we left the airport. And so went right there and got what we needed. And then we were able to replenish and get some basics from the camp store if we needed something. All right, so moving on, what is the best time to visit? I know this is right now should be part of your peak season. Yes, which is why I never recommend going in March. It's so uh, busy for spring break and and the facilities are very crowded uh, from Early March through the Easter weekend, it's just very crowded. I I don't go out to the park during that time of year. I love February. February is absolutely beautiful. The very start of the blue bonnets are starting to come up in February. They come up early in Big Bend. So you you can see little pieces of wildflowers. The weather is usually wonderful. You know, it's usually sunshine and in the you know, 60s or 70s during the day and cool at night, uh, crisp at night, particularly in the mountains and the basin. I just absolutely love February. It's my favorite month in the park. 
but I also enjoy, you know, mid-January as well. And then, you know, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, it's going to be really hot in August, but August is not the hottest month. June is. In August, you're most likely to be caught in a rainstorm. There's monsoonal rains that come in August and uh, September. So that's just something to be aware of, particularly if you're wanting to camp, is when the rain comes at Big Bend, it, it comes in these huge thunderstorms that are really pretty to watch from afar, but not something that you want to be in the middle of. When you're preparing for uh, camping at Big Bend, um, you, you definitely want to be aware that you could be caught in some fairly torrential rain, uh, particularly in September. But even in August, I was just there this past August, and we got caught uh, on a road where we had to wait for water to recede to cross. People, again, that's one of the things I love about Big Bend is it's a desert, but it's not the kind of desert that people think about. They think about the Sahara, you know, and, and wide stretches of sand, and that's just not what Big Bend is at all. Right. Yeah. There was so much green to see. We were there actually exactly a month ago, February 20th, and we had some extreme weather. So I wanted to ask you about that. How many seasons are there in Big Bend? And during that prime peak season, which should be when the weather is best, what to expect? Just to tell you what we experienced, we arrived on a Wednesday, Wednesday evening. It was very nice out. We caught the sunset at the window view. And then after that, we did not see the Chisos Mountains for another two days because of such heavy fog. So we spent our next day going to the east side and had 60 mile per hour winds. <laughs> so we had some extreme weather and I was wondering what, you know, is that, was that atypical or do you just need to be prepared for anything whenever you go? You need to be prepared for anything and you need to remember that Depending on where you are in the park, the weather is going to be very different. It can be snowing in the Chisos and hot at the river. If you're wanting to cross to Boquias, even in the winter, it's going to be warm. There's zero shade on the way from the river into the town of Boquias in Mexico. It could be hot on January 10th. That's something just to be aware of is, you know, just always have your jacket or your long sleeve shirt with you because the temperatures can dip and rise rapidly. And you can be going from a river basin up into the mountain to 5,000 feet or whatever it is. I can't remember offhand, but, um, you know, you can be going from very low levels to very high levels very quickly. So you just have to be prepared for that and understand that, that that's something that's going to be. Okay. Yeah, we rolled with it and we were flexible. <laughs> so we still did a hike with those heavy winds and just shielded our eyes. and. <laughs> but uh, but I was very surprised by it, the how extreme it was. <laughs> well, and remember, you're experiencing poor conditions in one part of the park, go to another part of the park, because it could be 180 degree uh, change in the weather from one place to the other. We had people were posting video in, I think it was in December, people were posting video on our Facebook site of they were in 
the mountains and it was icy and they couldn't even go 10 feet on a trail. And then they went down to Pine Canyon and it was sunshine and lovely. Right. So we were lucky to be staying right in the center uh, at the Chisos Lodge. So every morning we'd see, nope, still can't see the mountains. They're there somewhere. And so we checked in with the ranger to see, okay, what should we do? Where would it be more promising? So that was why one day we went to the east side and then the next day still couldn't see the mountains. So we went to the west side. <laughs> and then our, on our third day, we finally got to see the mountains and it was beautiful. <laughs> so um, so let's talk about itinerary and what to see and do and activities and the three sections. First, what would you recommend? It's obviously personal and subjective, but what would be an ideal number of days to visit Big Bend? If you have never been to Big Bend, I can't imagine getting a sense of it in less than three days. You can certainly spend a lot more than that, but I don't know how you would be able to really experience very much if you did, you know, less than that. I totally agree with that. That is what we had. It would have been wonderful to have another day or two, but I felt like we really got a good feel for it in the three days that we were there. Yeah. And then if you do that, then you'll know like, oh, next time I want to do this, you know, you'll know what you want to do the next time around. But yeah, I, I think you've got to put three days in and you're going so far. There's nowhere that's close to it. So, you know, why would you travel all that way and not <laughs> spend the time to really get at least a feel for what you're doing? Yeah. I did. That was all that we had time for. But, you know, I met people on the trails who were talking about how they were doing visiting one or two other parks uh, while on that trip. What are some other parks that people will often pair with a visit to Big Bend since they are traveling far? Well, adjacent to Big Bend is Big Bend Ranch State Park. That's a, a common pairing. People will do both. Many people will do uh, Balmeray, which is a spring-fed pool that's kind of on the drive, sort of on the drive out. Uh, many people will do, depending on like if they're driving west or coming from the west to Big Bend, they'll do like Carlsbad Caverns or White Sands in Mexico or Guadalupe Mountains to kind of get all the stuff in the west and in New Mexico. Those are usually the ones that people do. Or if they're going from San Antonio, they might drive to Del Rio, uh, where Amistad is, and then drive the back way up from Del Rio uh, to Big Bend, which is a really pretty, lovely drive. Very popular to truly enjoy that drive. Right. Someone also had recommended to me Fort Davis, which we didn't have time for. But um, that was another recommendation I heard. Yeah, a lot of people will do like... I've recommended this trip to many families to go to Balmeray, swim at Balmeray, and then go spend the night in Fort Davis, go to the Star Party, visit Fort Davis National Historic Site, which is a great park, and then drop down from there to go to Big Bend. That sounds like a great week-long family vacation. Yeah, it's a great spring break or Thanksgiving break or, you know, I mean, it's a great week break. So. Big Bend, what is there to do, see, and learn? You can summarize and then take each section however you'd like to uh, approach it. The guide that I give to friends who go out is 
I tell them to take kind of a section each day. And so I'll say, you know, one day you get up and you go over to the Rio Grande Village area of the park. And you get up early and you can walk on the wetlands walk. Uh, There's beaver dams sometimes, lots of things to see. And it's where really excellent birding is in the park. You can spot all sorts of stuff. The Rio Grande Village Visitor Center has just been remodeled. And my organization put some money into signage. And now there's signage both inside and outside so that you can sort of understand the birds that are there helps you learn how to spot them, see what's in the river, the kind of catfish and things that are in the river. It's a great, very, very well done exhibit. So that's, you know, some time there. And then, you know, bring your passport, either the book or the the passport card, either one, because then you go have lunch in Boquillas. So you go to the Boquillas Port of Entry, which is on that side of the park, really close to Rio Grande Village. And you get road, you have to take a little bit of cash because you pay money and get road across. And then you can either ride a, a mule or a horse or a pickup truck into town, have lunch at one of the couple of restaurants that are over there, really enjoy your time in Mexico. And then when you come back, you get road back across the river. And then there is a little machine that looks like an ATM and you talk to a customs officer and present your passport to be scanned and, you know, do your declarations just as you would at any other border crossing. And and then that will have been lunch. And then you can go on that side of the park. There's Ernst Tanaha, which is a really cool feature. There's the hot springs, the mouth of Boquillas Canyon, which has a big sand dune that kids like to run up and down. So, you know, that's a that whole side of the park is one full day. And I would dedicate a full day to that side of the park, you know, instead of drive big bid to such great distances, instead of driving back and forth, back and forth, I would take it in sections. And that to me would be one whole section, you know, is to take that side of the park. There's plenty to do to fill a day on that side of the park. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we did, except uh, when we were at the visitor center, which is beautiful. So it's nice to know that's thanks to uh, a lot of it is thanks to Big Ben Conservancy. I enjoyed looking at all the information about birds because I do like birds. But um, the nature walk, we didn't make it there because we were just getting so blown away. We just tried to get back into the car without getting blown away. <laughs> but the hot springs and the crossing and the Pukias Canyon hike. What is, t- you mentioned Tanaha. What is that? Uh, Ernst Tanaha. Tanahas are pools of water in the rock formation that usually last all year. There's a little hike that you can go and see the Tanahas and lots of times there's tadpoles and stuff in the water and it's a fun, the kids love it. It's a great hike with kids, super fun for families. Okay. That does sound fun. All right. So what's the next section you want to talk about? I wouldn't miss the fossil exhibit. Uh, it's a million and a half dollar exhibit. We, our organization raised and paid for it. It's uh, won awards. It's a truly amazing feature. And there's a kids play area. So it's a nice spot for kids to get out and run around and be kids. And there's good cell service there. So you know, if you need to check in with somebody and haven't had service, there's usually three bars there. Uh, but it's a, a spectacularly well uh, interpreted area. Big Bend has the most dinosaurs of any national park from the Cretaceous era, but we have dinosaurs 
that go from the ancient seas up through the rise of mammals. So, you know, the interpretation is amazing. There are two life-size bronze skulls that kids can stick their head in and take a photo with. And it's just a fun place, for, particularly for families, but everybody that goes there really enjoys it. It's something we're really proud of and really encourage everyone to, to experience when we're there. I would definitely not miss the fossil exhibit. It's amazing. I totally agree with that. And it's not in one of those distinct three sections of the park, but um, it's so we actually combine that with we love ranger talks. And there was a ranger talk scheduled at 930 the morning that we went over to the east side. So we did that first and then headed over and we were just amazed. The exhibit is so well done the building, learning learning about the building and all the sustainability aspects that went into it. It's really not to be missed. Yeah. And, you know, like if you're driving in from Marathon, you know, you can stop there on your way into the park and then head to the visitor center and watch the film. Again, we paid for that film and it's really very well done film. Uh, it's not long. You know, it can hold attention fairly easily. Uh, for young ones, but definitely I wouldn't miss the film. It's great to go into the basin and check into the hotel if you're staying there or go set up your campsite. Another really great hike that's kind of not in a cluster is Grapevine Hills, which is balanced rock. Very popular. It's not a long hike. It's like maybe a mile. You'd have to double check, but it's just not very long. But the last part is uphill. And you go up this little scramble and then there's this really cool rock that's balanced and you can like pose underneath it and, you know, pretend like you're lifting it up. And the view on the other side is an amazing view into the Chihuahuan Desert. And it's just, it's a fun hike, very popular, but, you know, not kind of in a geographic cluster necessarily. Yeah, I was afraid we weren't going to have time for that. And we managed to uh, squeeze that one in to the morning we were flying out. I made everyone get up early and out and we did it. And I'm so glad we did. That was amazing. Most families could do it. It's really not a terribly hard hike. So super fun. And then, of course, one of the things I would do would be the basin. I, you know, pick a couple of hikes to do in the basin. I would you know, maybe do window trail or if you want a whole day south rim or pinnacle, something, I would pick something in the morning in the base. And then, you know, in the afternoon, when it starts to really get warm, you could think of coming out of the basin a little bit and going to Pine Canyon, which some, a lot of times has water. A lot of times there's a waterfall there. Sometimes there's bears. Pine Canyon's a great, easy hike that people of most abilities could do. I always recommend that as like a nice afternoon when it's a little warm going in, but you know, once you get in under the trees, it's you know, kind of where the water is, it's a really pretty nice space to be. That sounds lovely. We did not do that one. Of course, Lost Mine Trail is a very popular. It's in the basin. It's up and out and back. So it's an in and out hike can't get lost, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, you go up and you go down. And if you don't want to go all the way up, there's this area called the saddle. 
you can go halfway and see both sides of the Chisos. So it's a really cool hike to do because you don't have to go all the way up to get a really spectacular, you know, in a 15 minute hike, you can get amazing views. Yeah. My one daughter and my husband did that, did that hike and they absolutely loved it. Are there certain trails where you're most likely to see or have the possibility of seeing the Mexican black bears? There are very often bears at Pine Canyon, very often uh, bears uh, in in the basin. I mean, (laughs) many times people go on the porch of their cabin or, uh, you know, walk across where the, uh, you know, to the restaurant to check out or whatever, and (laughs) there'll be a bear. So they're kind of everywhere. Oh, okay. Wow. We did not get to see a bear there, but that would have been very cool. Yeah. It's just total luck whether you see one or not. There's no method to it. (laughs) So I think we've got one section left. Yeah. The other thing I would say is there are many, many people who come to Big Bend are not mega hikers, you know, super hikers that are going to go out all day, you know, and hike from one end of the Chiefs Basin to the other. But there are many, many things that you can do. And one of them is to go on a driving tour. And you can get out and drive as though you're going toward Terlingua and get off and take the Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive. And there are amazing spots to get out of the car and look at geology to see historic information. And then there was Castellon where we had the fire, but there's still a store there. You can go to the mouth of Santa Elena Canyon and look at the beautiful canyon. And you can go to the Homer Wilson Ranch, which is on that side of the park. And from there, you can take the Blue Creek Trail and you can see hoodoos just like they have in Utah, these funny looking reddish orange rocks that come out of out of the ground and look really weird. You know, we have hoodoos at Big Bend and it's really not a hard hike to get to them. It would be low to medium, but you can just take, you know, my mother she gets in, when I'm in a meeting at Big Ben, she gets in her rental car, turns on Marfa Public Radio, and just drives the Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive. Yeah, and she, you know, there's there's all sorts of stuff to pop in and out of the car and read along the way. And, you know, she just enjoys that drive. It's, a, it's an easy drive. It's a beautiful drive. And it's something that people of any ability can enjoy. Right. This park is fairly accessible. There are several trails that are. ADA accessible. And it's also a nice driving park for people who don't want to do those big hikes. Exactly. It's very popular with motorcyclists because it is a nicely drivable park. There are many, many motorcyclists who truly enjoy coming up. You you have that wide open space feeling like the sky goes on forever and ever. And you feel like when you're driving out there, you feel like you can breathe. You know, (laughs) there's this no end to the sky. A lot of people enjoy just taking a cruise, you know, and enjoying it like that. And there's a perfectly valid way to to enjoy Big Bend because, you know, many, many people cannot be super hikers, you know, and they can't hike for seven hours. And many people will have kids that just can't, you know, they can't do that. And they certainly don't want to get stuck hiking back, you know hiking back with and dragging them or having to carry them, right? But as a parent who's brought little kids out there, I, I will say that 
there's plenty to do that is not hard hiking. And then for the people that want that true solitude, there are plenty of hikes to do that, you know, you won't see hardly anyone else along the way. That's so great. And that's that's what we aim to uh, highlight. So Courtney, are there other activities besides hiking and cruising in your car, motorcycle? We'll talk about camping in a couple of minutes. There's the river there. I know that there are opportunities for rafting, but not through the park. I think you have to go outside of the national park boundaries. Is that correct? That's not. There are river guides and you need to You should be on the river with a qualified guide. Those can be had in Terlingua, Far-Flung Adventures. One of their owners is a founder of our organization. They take people out on the river all the time. The big thing about the river is just water level. So oftentimes you won't be in the park just because, not because of any restriction, but because of water level. The last time I floated the river, we floated through the state park because of the time of year. That's uh, entirely dependent on water more than anything. Okay. So if people are interested in rafting, what time of year should they plan their trip? Well, I mean, you can raft all year, but in the summer, it's going to be slow and the river's going to be low. You know, the monsoon rains come August, September, and they have to have a lot of rain in Mexico for the river to run because the river, you know, it's coming down from the Rio Conchos in part, and from the, you know, the release of water from dams in Mexico. So it's entirely dependent on rainfall. You can float any time of year. It's just going to depend. The water level is going to dictate what kind of float you do. Are you going to be in canoes, kayaks? You know, are you going to be in a raft? What, you know, where are you going to go? But a couple of years ago, we hosted a trip for major donors and they spent two nights in the lower canyons and, you know, from Boquillas Canyon on and it was a beautiful trip, but that was within definitely within park boundaries and along the Wild and Scenic River. I guess what I meant to say is that there isn't a concessionaire in the park. You have to organize it with a tour company that then, I guess, is contracted or approved by the park to come in and take people. Exactly. They would have to be permitted, yeah. And how about people who come in with their own, maybe... Uh, if they have a paddleboard or a canoe or a kayak that they're bringing, are they allowed to do that? And do they need to check in at the visitor center and get a permit for that? I think they have to have a permit. I would, I think to be on the water, you have to have a permit. I remember that it's the international boundary, but you should ask uh, like Tom Vandenberg or somebody for specifics. All right. Just to summarize that, there are opportunities to raft and canoe and kayak, but you need to do it with a guide that is approved by the park. If you want to do it yourself, check in with the park rangers. Yeah, I don't know if you can or not. Yeah. Are there other activities that people do in the park that we should uh, mention or did we pretty much cover it? You cover most of it. I mean, photography is is huge, a draw, but there are many people in painting. There, you know, There are a lot of artists, people who paint, people who draw, and then, of course, photographers. There's, you know, uh, a wealth of photographers that come to visit the park. One of my favorite things at the park is the night sky. It is certified by the International Dark Skies Association as the darkest skies in the lower 48 states. So we have a gold 
international dark sky certification, as does our neighboring, the ranch, the Big Bend Ranch State Park. And so that whole area is just very, very dark, very little ambient light. You can see so much. You can see planets with the naked eye. And the park does a wonderful program. They're very often on Saturday nights at the Panther Junction Visitor Center. You know, you could consult with rangers when you get to the park to see if they're doing a dark sky talk, but they're amazing. We were there a couple of years ago with my kids and we saw four planets with the naked eye. And they had brought out some folks from the local astronomy club and they had their telescope set up and we got to see uh, the rings of Saturn and two of Jupiter's moons. We got to see Ganymede and I think it was Io was the other one. So, I mean, just an amazing experience to really highlight the spectacular pieces of the universe. And uh, they told a really, all the wonderful stories of how these constellations were named from mythology. And it was a great experience, really enriching. Even if you can't go to the program, you can look on your phone on an app, you know, download one of those uh, night sky apps and, and you can easily identify so many constellations just standing outside of your cabin or your tent and looking up. It's so spectacular. You can see the Milky Way. I mean, you can see so much. There are stars in between stars and you won't know it till you get out to Big Ben. Yeah, that was definitely a highlight of our trip. I told you already about the weather we had. We couldn't see stars our first two nights, but our last night, we saw a spectacular sky. It was really wonderful. And the program was phenomenal. Yeah, they do. Really great job. Next, I want to talk about camping and lodging. There's a couple of gateway towns. There's the lodge, and then there's front country camping and back country camping. So can you speak about some of those options and when one may need to reserve during popular times? The lodge is is very booked all the time just because there's only one hotel inside the park that Jesus Mountain Lodge. It's operated by Forever Resorts. Uh, and they start taking reservations on January 1st for the following year. So people that registered on January 1st of this year were registering for rooms in 2021. If you want to come spring break, you know, if you want to come Easter, Thanksgiving, you got to be on top of it <laughs> and ready to grow. A lot of people, when they leave and check out, they make their reservation for the next year already. Staying at the lodge, if you are trying a last minute trip, it's going to be fairly difficult to get in. If you're ahead of the game, then you, you, know, you should be okay. There are some campsites available for reservation online through recreation.gov. If you're a camper, check that out. You can print your permit out online and have it in your windshield and go and enjoy your stay. There are RV sites down at Rio Grande Village. They are limited. I don't remember how many spaces, but it's not a great deal. Maybe 10 to 15, if I remember right. Uh, but they, they do have full hookups. So that's great. There are group campgrounds. So if you have a family, uh, an extended family that all wants to go camping together or a group of friends, there's a group campsite. And you can make those reservations. So that's kind of what they have in the park. And Rio Grande Village, there's a lot of camping spaces and they often have the pull through, you know, so you can pull your car all the way in and then, 
you know, have their camp there. So there's a lot of space in those spaces. Want a little bit of extra space around you and not be super close to other people. And do you know, what do people do if they show up and it's full? Most of the time, if the park is full, then the surrounding communities are probably full too. There are some camping at the Stillwell Ranch, which is just north of the park. If you're coming from Marathon, they may try like Lajitas or Terlingua for different lodging options. But normally, if the park is full up, everywhere else is full up too. There's just very limited. I would not come. I would never advise anyone to come to Big Bend that did not have their lodging before they came. Good advice. And do you know how far in advance you can reserve a campsite? I think it's six months if you go through recreation.gov. There's plenty of campsites, but just go and make your reservation. You might not get the site you want, but when you get to the park, you can check in with the rangers and the permitting and see, like, did somebody no-show? Did somebody leave that I could swap into their spot, which is, you know, a better site that I'd rather have? But I would not go out there with nothing and just hope for the best, especially not any time between February 15th and June 1st. You know, you don't want to drive seven hours and then not have a place to go. And backcountry camping, do you have anything to say about that? They have opened up sites on recreation.gov. So, I, you know, I would, I would make reservations. Great. Courtney, we always end our interviews with one last question. So I will pose that to you now. Can you share with us your own story about a transcendent moment, something that made you think, wow, this is a really special place and I'm so lucky to get to spend so much time here? The first time I took my daughter, I had not seen a bear (laughs) in my many trips to the park. And the first time that my daughter and I took a girl's trip, we saw a bear. (laughs) So, of course, the bear came out for my daughter. You know, that was just one of those funny, magical moments that you get in a national park. You know, I hadn't seen one in however many years it was of coming. And, of course, it was with her that I saw one. So that was fun. And then standing on the porch, uh, the Chisos Mountain Lodge, I was standing there with the superintendent at the time, Bill Wellman, and we were watching a really spectacular sunset, really, really pretty, beautiful sunset going down through the window. And he elbowed me and he said, turn around. And we looked and Casa Grande was the most perfect color of reddish orange. It was just beautiful. And I would not have seen it if the superintendent had elbowed me and told me to turn around. And it was just as pretty as the sunset. It was the mountain was changing color as the sun went down. And it was just gorgeous. It was just one of those moments where you're like, this is just an amazing place. And I'm really, really glad that I get to protect it. Thank you so much for sharing. I can totally envision what that may have looked like for you. And that is just really beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing. And once again, I am speaking with Courtney Lyons-Garcia, Executive Director of Big Bend Conservancy. Thank you so much, Courtney. And for people who want to follow Big Bend Conservancy, where you gave us the website, if you want to tell us that again, and where can they find Big Bend Conservancy on social media? 
Thanks, Danielle. They can find Big Bend Conservancy at www.bigbendconservancy.org. We're on Instagram as slash Big Bend C. And we are on Facebook as Friends of Big Bend. Wonderful. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.